Welcome back to The Daily Poem here on the Close Reads Podcast Network. I'm David Curry. Uh, quickly, I want to apologize because I don't, I'm not at the studio right now. Um, I don't have that available to me. So I, I still wanted to get you a poem, but um, I am just using the, uh, the voice memos app on my iPhone and my um, Apple headphones. So the quality won't be quite as good, but I did want to get you a poem nonetheless. And today's poem is by Elizabeth Bishop. She was an American poet who lived from 1911 to 1979. She was consultant in poetry to the Library of Congress from 1949 to 1950, and the Pulitzer Prize winner for poetry in 1956. She also won the National Book Award in 1970. And the poem that I'm going to read today is called The Flood. I'm reading it out of a centenary edition of The Poems of Elizabeth Bishop, a nice big collection that has almost all of her work. But this particular poem comes from a section called Uncollected Poems, 1933 to 1969. And again, it's called The Flood. It was written in 1933. This is how it goes. It finds the park first, and the trees turn wavery and wet but all the extinguished traffic knows that it will drown the steeples yet. The battered houses, rows of brick, are clear as quartz. The color thins to amethyst. The chimney pots and weather vanes stick up like fins. And slowly, down the fluid streets, the cars and trolleys, goggle-eyed and enameled bright like gaping fish, drift home on the suburban tide. Along the airy upper beach to the minutely glittering sky, Two sandpipers have stepped and left four star prints high and dry. Beyond the town, sub-aqueous, the green hills change to green mossed shells. And at the church, to warn the ships above, eight times they ring the bells. There are a number of things I like about this poem a great deal. And I'll go through three of them. One, I love the way it creates this uh, sort of narrative. We don't really know what the resolution is. We don't necessarily know who our protagonist is. But we can imagine. We can imagine there being, the, the protagonist being the water itself, being the flood itself. We can imagine the protagonist being a character um, being impacted by the flood. So, well, our um, perspective our point of view is a, a little bit um, unclear, or maybe not. Un maybe unclear is the wrong word. It's, it's um, perhaps not clearly defined. Nonetheless, we still have a sense of place and a sense of stakes, and those are two key things in any kind of in any kind of narrative. Another thing I like about this poem is it's pretty clear, clear formal design. Even visually, there's a clear a clear visual structure to it. There are five four-line stanzas, each of which has an A-B-C-B -B rhyme scheme. So, for example, in the first stanza, it's trees, wet, nose, yet. Those are the final words of each line. So, built-in is a, is a structure that she's adhering to. There's a, uh, there's a formal element to it. But it doesn't, it doesn't read that way, necessarily. Like, you don't find yourself sort of being driven uh, as you read by the rhyme scheme, kind of forced into it. She uses in Jammin a couple times to play with that rhyme scheme. For example, the, in the second line of the second stanza, you get this, are clear as quartz, semicolon, 
the color thins to amethyst, and that to amethyst is then onto the third line. And that stop, that semicolon in the middle of the second line, keeps you from being too uh, caught up or relying too much on the rhyme scheme, I think. And then, of course, you have the third thing that I like about this poem, that being the, uh, the ending, the, the mysterious, possibly a little bit dark ending. Beyond the town, sub-aqueous, the green hills change to green mossed shells. So somewhere beyond the town, under the water, the green hills change to green mossed shells. The idea of shells is fascinating to me because of the way shells are are impacted and altered over the years, just by sometimes up to centuries of being under the water, right? They're smoothed out, their shape has changed. And then at the church, to warn the ships above eight times, they ring the bells. To warn the ships above is such a fascinating line because is it that they, are, they warn the ships above those green mossed shells so they don't run aground? Those hills that have become green mossed shells? Or could it be that the church itself is under the water, is the ships are above the church, and it's subaqueous, these, these subaqueous bells. I love how much it leaves up to the, to the reader's imagination, how much there's sort of um, uh, empty space, uh, negative space, silence, that we have to fill ourselves. So once again, here is Elizabeth Bishop's The Flood. It finds the park first, and the trees turn wavery and wet. But all the extinguished traffic knows that it will drown the steeples yet. The battered houses, rows of brick, are clear as quartz. The color thins to amethyst. The chimney pots and weather vanes stick up like fins. And slowly down the fluid streets, the cars and trolleys, goggle-eyed, enameled bright like gaping fish, drift home on the suburban tide. Along the airy upper beach to the minutely glittering sky, two sandpipers have stepped and left four star prints high and dry. Beyond the town, sub-aqueous, the green hills change to green-mossed shells, and at the church, to warn the ships above, eight times they ring the bells. This has been The Daily Poem. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back tomorrow with another poem for you.